Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. In the year of the primal form, the dawn of terrestrial birth, man mastered the mammoth and horse. Man was the lord of the earth. He made him an oil skin from the heart of a holy tree. He compassed the earth therein. Man was the lord of the sea. He controlled the vigorous steam. He harnessed the lightning for fire. He drove the celestial team. Greetings and felicitations, children of technology. I'm Alan Averill, and you are very welcome to the second episode of Agitators Anonymous. Well, I'm well over 20 days now into relative self-isolation. The odd meeting here and there for an hour or two with the the plague doctors, but... um, No, even the servants have been fired... Long since left me, no more visits in the West Wing. Uh, no more tea and crumpets. No tiffin, no elevenses even. I know, I know, the horror. If you know what the difference is between tiffin and elevenses, maybe let me know. Uh, just put Lord of the Manor wrong side of the tracks, Dublin on the envelope. Should get to me. So where are we with all of this? Um... Personally, there's only so many stories about COVID I can process in one day, and they start early. Thankfully, I have my phone on silent, on airplane. I don't have any notifications, no ting, 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 no nothing like this. Or by noon, I would be literally ready to stock up on sleeping pills and drink a glass of blue meanies. But um, yeah, it's just constant. It's constant. I have one tab telling me about viral smuggling from labs in North America to Wuhan province. Another telling me how great this is for dolphins. Vice magazine are shouting in their echo chamber in another. One expert with a regional accent and a crossed eye is telling me about cholera and typhoid, which is quite interesting, actually. Another is waiting in the next tab, sporting a dicky bow with a scroll of bad news as long as your arm. Is this bad news for globalism? 
Is it caused by globalism? Is Pogba staying? Is he going? Rogan is stoned off his head in a spacesuit talking about martial law. And he's not wrong. Whistleblowers are in one ear. Someone is dog whistling in the other ear about conspiracies. Uh, being a little bit deaf sometimes helps, or selectively deaf at least. China's covering up. They're putting their back clothes back on again. What's the great leap forward? People don't know. I'm cutting and pasting, sending people out that piece of horror from the 20th century going, ah, you see what they did before? You really think they're going to be telling you the, the truth now? I mean, it's the same party, right? I don't know. Italy is covering up. Italy is not. How good are the Koreans? Uh, not the bad northern ones, mind you. Um, the information is just literally just too much to process. And all of it is serious and all of it is worthy of your intention. It's not the kind of information that we were overloading on before, before all this happened, when we were obsessing over nonsense politics. And this is real stuff. And taking it all in at one time, my brain literally melted out my ears on Wednesday. I had been coping with isolation pretty well to that point, but I had a, a full on screaming match with the mouse. The, the mouse on my computer, uh, not an actual mouse. Not reached that level yet. I just reached full virus, full viral, up to the eyeballs, just freaking out, shouting at the wall. I had to airdrum to the whole of Once Upon the Cross just to get rid of some anger. That's some anger or frustration or whatever you want to call it. Speaking of which... I find that one of the only ways we're going to be able to deal with this on a mental level is actually trying to keep fit. And I've been running um, every night, mainly at night, around the city. Um, it may sound strange, but sometimes we take the city that we live in for granted when we are distracted by the noise and the faces and the hubbub of humanity and the hustle and bustle that goes on around us. We get distracted. And it's been a very strange, almost maudlin experience to run the city at night. Architecture I'd never noticed. Graffiti that's taken on an extra poignance. I was standing in the middle of a four-road intersection not too far from where I live, which is literally in the center of Dublin. And there was not another human being in sight in a city of over one million people. And it was around about midnight. Well, I mean, it had to be, didn't it? A few minutes to, at least. It's arresting. It's strange. It's, as I said, maudlin. It's quite sad. It's got a sort of very strange sort of beauty to the whole experience. And as it's overwhelmed me on some level, I've started to keep my running time to late at night. Just kind of like those dreams you are able to provoke within yourself and start the dream again just for the sensation of falling, that kind of thing. It's a very strange experience. Um, the, the police, they cruise by now and again to interrupt my dream state, but they haven't said a word to me. The streets now are the preserve of uh, junkies and the homeless mainly. I mean, even homeless people have got to be feeling the financial burn, right? Yeah, they also can't run, so that's probably why the police aren't stopping me. I've also taken to wearing 
a rather incongruous yellow Colombian football jersey I got for two euro in a charity shop every night. It's become my um, my uh, virus, my virus smock. And uh, it must be a strange sight, CCTV all across the city, clocking a middle-aged man, banana yellow, running and air drumming at the same time around a deserted, empty street. And I did get the opening tom roll from Storm of the Light Spain perfectly in time, I must say. Sometimes you forget what city you're in. However, yesterday I saw a junkie jogging with a big bottle of TK Red Lemonade under his arm. Only Dublin. Only Dublin. Only Dublin. I knew where I was then. I've been treating the self-isolation a little like some would treat maybe a monastical retreat, only with speed metal and porn. Onanism and venom. That might be a good title for an autobiography somewhere. The reaction to the last podcast was almost completely positive, which was very pleasing. There is another episode between the last one and this. We could call it a bonus episode, which is on my Patreon, which is just patreon.com slash Alan Averill, um, where you can sign up for as little as a dollar. Well, I mean, at least until I figure out how the whole thing works properly. But no, that would probably be it. Uh, I said last time I'm morally and technologically navigating the platform, so I'm not going to keep moaning about it. Um, it's just a new reality, and that's all there is to be said with it. You either deal with it or you don't. One thing my story last week certainly did was uh, it got old friends talking, uh, people who were involved and around at the time. Uh, I've been, been long threads on various different social media uh, about all those old stories and no uh, loads of them that I've completely forgotten. I've been getting messages from people I haven't heard from in years telling me that, oh, yeah, no, that was, I remember that bit. Yeah, you got that bit a little bit wrong. Remember him, he was there, remember her, remember that instance, this instance. It's been um, an awful lot of fun looking at the messages and the people corresponding off the back of that story. Um, they were really reckless years. They were funny and they were free. Uh, none of us had a penny, but somehow managed to make great worth out of so little. And somehow be able to sit and make do with only our own company for what seemed like days on end. We gave birth to this little scene here in Dublin during that late 80s, early 90s, boom, period. Um, and it's been very uh, poignant to reflect on those times, especially the way things are right now. This whole situation gives you a very long look at the bottom of the glass, um, a long look to mull over old memories. And it's reminded me what a pleasure they were to live through, how important they were, and also what a dickhead I was. I mean, hold your hands up if you also had new rock boots, a trench coat, and a magician's beard. Yeah, I know, I told you. It's the magician's beard thing that really fascinates me. Why? Why? Anyway, where do we go from here? How do we get back to normal life? Uh, this is a really, really big question. Can we even do so? I mean, the first domino that fell, at least in the industry that I'm in, the music industry, was just the stopping of live shows and then just 
witness everything one by one just falling. And it was really quite profound what a flimsy structure it was. But how do we return to this normality, you know? I mean, is it even possible? Are we going to be allowed to? One of the most important things I've tried to learn in the last few years, partly to compensate with my own anger or my own willingness to want to get into verbal confrontations with people, to argue, to fight with people and this, that and the other. When I tried to step back from that part of my personality, I had to realize that there was a very stark reality of cognitive dissonance involved in trying to understand most situations, the ability to hold two seemingly contradictory points of view and as unsexy as it might be to either the far points of either political bias, the grey area was where most things sat. There's just too many people, good and bad agents, rational and irrational actors, too many states involved, too many powerful pawnbrokers to fully gain the stats 100% in any which way. And that's what we have to bend to. We have to bend to mathematics and chance, in my opinion. For every massive structure of nation building is the law of chances. Uh, the chance that provided Gabriela Princip, a young Serbian nationalist, with a second chance of killing the Archduke in Sarajevo that morning when he came back down the hill. And his car stalled. I mean, and from then the gears of World War I begin grinding. But even still, one man's hand, one act of unforeseen chance. However, however, when it's all laid out, I mean, when all of the circumstances that we now find ourselves in are laid out, you got to ask yourself, I mean, if you were planning some form of a takeover, this would kind of be how you do it, right? You introduce semi-permanent martial law, which then becomes permanent. In the wake of that, you take away freedoms and rights to protect people. You introduce travel bans that don't ever really change. You have biometric diagnostic passports, which include all of your other information. I mean, after 9-11, people signed away on many of their rights to online freedom. There seemed a higher purpose for this. And when such an upheaval happens, there are the agents and actors and institutions I'm considering as having influence are busy trying to figure out in some Machiavellian way. They're trying to figure out how to take advantage of this. And my friends who talk conspiracy, I'm finding it harder and harder to stem the tide of their debate. Of course, then to temper this, I listened to a virologist, a chemist, or a epidiotomist. I said it wrong last time. I'll say it wrong this time. Experts. Experts in the field who reassure me in a rather dark way that there's a new strain of something as old as time, that we are the victims of bad luck and circumstance. And a relative who is a paramedic messages me with some very serious home truths and you realize that regardless of the stories in each tab, all of this is reaching real people and it's affecting them in very real ways. But 
How do we return to normal life? I mean, I sat and thought about this the other day and I, and I realized that in my lifetime, I'd only ever read about upheavals like this in the, in the history books. I mean, okay, so we were affected by the crash in 2008 and the global financial crisis, but we were still able to do it in a free way to gather as people and discuss it. And yeah, sure enough, we had to tighten our purse strings, as a man once said, but we got through it. But yet, this may be the greatest upheaval since, I suppose, for the fall of communism represented to Eastern Europe. This, this could be an, times 10 of that element of upheaval as we are sitting on the precipice, on the cusp of not just economic ruin, not just recession, but depression. And how do we at least take back some form of normality, of civility, of our daily life? And okay, we put up with the fact that we have great numbers of the new unemployed, but then again, maybe I'm just going mad in the dungeon. Too much time to consider old stories and relative freedoms and the recklessness of youth replaced by a quarantined midlife crisis. Anyway, so this episode story is going to be about after much deliberation, the first time that Primordial played at VAC in open air in 1998. I mean, it's the first time that we've played in Europe, really, at least in the mainland. We've done gigs in the UK and like I talked about in the last episode, um, you know, a small tour with Psy and there'd been various shows here and there. Well, we'd never actually flown abroad to play. And you have to really put this in context that at the time when we started playing in Dublin, we barely knew what monitors were. I mean, having a conversation with a sound man was some sort of alien concept or even understanding the rudimentary physics of the situation was somewhat lost on us. We were used to playing on the floor of bars, on the floor of pubs, the odd venue here and there with the stage. But we'd only just got a glimpse of that playing in the UK. So we'd never actually flown across to Europe. So, of course, to prepare properly for that, what do you do? But you get pissed on the plane going over. Uh, half the band took to drinking whiskey on the way over. And as you probably know, alcohol is more potent when you're flying, something to do with the thinning of the blood when you're in the air. At least that's what I'm told. Is that a, is that a wives' tale or not? Who knows? Anyway, regardless of whether it was or whether it wasn't, um, some of us who shall remain la- who shall remain nameless, who were found asleep in hedges outside the hotel that night, decided it would be in their best interest to stock up on whiskey on the flight over. So considering we're playing at 2 p.m. the next day, this was already off to a ropey start. So we arrive at Hamburg a bit worse for where to begin with. And lo and behold, uh, the night, that night at least, is a bit of a blur. However, we're up in the morning, a bit ropey, a bit all over the place, 2 p.m. So we have to show up at about 11 a.m. to the stage, and we realize we're playing on the same stage as Riot, Sacred Steel, Exciter, 
Um, all of the bands that would be considered our peers are over in the tent, which is Hypocrisy, Hades Almighty, Einherger, Old Man's Child, all these kind of bands that maybe we would have felt a bit more familiar with. No, they were over in the other tent. So we're sort of milling around, not really sure what to do, who to speak to. And as it turns out, we don't even have the right plugs. No. So how do you plug in your plug board? How do you plug in your pedals? Didn't dawn on any of us that you would need a two-pin plug, not a three-pin plug like we have in Ireland. Um, I'm standing in the crowd looking at the stage, um, wondering which band is up next. And as it turns out, it was us. Only I hadn't set my watch back an hour and so was literally standing in the crowd watching my own band fumble about on the stage trying to set up with the wrong pins only to run around, have to run around half of the expanse of the festival grounds to get back in. Um, no clue what to ask for as regards monitors, no clue what to ask for as regards anything, no time to put on corpse paint, no time to even get properly prepared at all. Uh, so unfathomably Irish, the whole thing. Some of us were pretty worse for wear from the night before. Yeah, to say this was ropey would not even come close to it. It wouldn't even come close to describing how <laughs> ropey a show this was. Um, we just about scraped through. This is like journey's end period. And thankfully, there was only a couple of hundred people watching. And this was back when Vacan only maybe had about 20,000 people there. Um, and these days, of course, every band has a huge crowd because there are people, there are so many people there. They're literally filling the field all of the time. But this was back when the opening bands could play in front of 100 or 200 people. There wasn't a guaranteed crowd there. So thankfully, thankfully, there were very few people there. And I got to watch through the gap in the tent 100 meters away, I got to watch Hades Almighty or something playing to what should have been the equivalent crowd that we played to. So we finished this utterly wretched gig, utterly uh, unfathomably awful, um, completely out of our depth. We barely have uh, any time to really consider how awful it is before directly after us Exciter starts playing. Literally, you know, we've only barely got time to really rake over the coals of the whole the whole endeavour before we literally get our noses rubbed in it, standing at the side of the stage listening to, oh, okay, this is how you do monitors. Oh, okay. Everything just sounded completely different. To say it was a steep learning curve would be something of a an understatement it was um, best filed under experience so we we retreat to lick our wounds begin to start drinking again it's three or four five in the afternoon I have a vivid memory of standing watching virgin steel amongst thousands and thousands of people and at that time had never really experienced even being at a festival. I'd never even experienced being, among, being amongst a crowd that big and being almost completely overwhelmed. Um, 
any festivals that had happened in Ireland in the late 80s, early 90s were always just full of normal indie pop or the awful, soporific, pathetic Irish pop music or indie music that passed in the late 80s. That's the stuff that would have filled all this, every stage and it just had no interest for us. We used to go to the campsite and mill around, but we never actually went into the gig, at least I never did. So I'd never actually experienced this many people. And I, considering that, I was even more thankful when I thought back to how quite awful we were, to be honest with you. However, I have a memory of watching Virgin Steel and thinking to myself, oh, that, that seems to be how you do it, this singing thing which would later come back to haunt me in about 12 hours later. So the day descends into whiskey again. The day descends into a very young Stephen O'Malley and myself getting shit-faced, getting messy, getting leery amongst other people, amongst about 30 Irish people who claim to be members of Primordial who are at this stage taking the piss out of security guards and coming in and coming out. and There must have been 40 members of Primordial that day, um, which also would come back to haunt us at some other stage as well. However, um, Stephen, as I remember, got on a bus with Gorgoroth and ended up somewhere near Rostock, about to board a ferry asleep um, to go across to Sweden, I think, and drive to Norway, something like this. Um, he would have to recollect something of that story. But yeah, the whole evening just descended into this kind of mess. And myself and Kieran just ended up 5 a.m. obliterated, obliterated um, in the beer tent, in the party tent, just not, not really knowing what's going on. And from there to try and get to the hotel, I have... Um, no memory until about nine in the morning of waking up on a train platform covered in dirt um, with somebody who'd been unfortunate enough to see us the previous day putting a blanket over me like I was some poor urchin in a Dickens novel or something. Um, just woken up like just amongst normal morning passengers going to wherever Saturday morning work they were doing. Um, covered in dirt, just no memory of the previous four, five, six hours. Arriving back somehow eventually to the hotel just before we're supposed to get kicked out. Wearing a Virgin Steel t-shirt I have no memory of buying. And arriving at the hotel meeting the singer of Virgin Steel and still drunk, still covered in dirt, asking him, how um, how do you keep your voice? How do you keep your voice? And he just looked at me with incredible pity. And he just said, well, the first thing you do is that you don't do this. Yeah, he might have been right. So we reached a sort of conversational impasse. He just stood there eating his bowl of fruit, observing me in his leather waistcoat ripped to the nines, while I, on the other hand, stumbled around the breakfast room in a state of drunken stupor, covered in dirt, trying to figure out which day it was, when the flight home was. Somehow, we made it home.
like I said, a very steep learning curve, those very first few gigs in Europe. And it's quite strange in that because we were sort of isolated on an island, we never were able to trade gigs back and forward. Maybe like some bands from Holland or Belgium or Germany could do back in the day in 93, 94, 95, where you could drive across the border or get in a car and drive for a couple of hours and maybe, I don't know, Deadhead would trade shows with Disaster or something and you could play in the local youth hall and learn from each other. We had sort of nothing like that. We literally played the odd gig around the country in Ireland and even those were ramshackle affairs, uh, which didn't really teach us very much. So the first times we went out on tour, maybe it was something of a blessing that we were able to be handed this rather severe, steep hill to climb of VAC in 1998 to learn quite a few things. Because if we'd been sent out on tour for the first album in 94, maybe at 18 or 19 years old, um, the band could have imploded very, very quickly. And I would really wonder if we would have been there to make, for example, To the Nameless Dead in the state that we were in. We could have taken a very different path and ended up absolutely killing each other. Um, and so in a way, the kind of slow, steady climb of the band um, was something in hindsight to be thankful for that you achieved your small little modicum of well, let's call it not quite fame, but something. You receive that in your 30s, in your mid-30s, as opposed to being 20. I could easily see how that could have turned us into um, even worse versions of ourselves. So it's not the most salacious story. There will be those in time. But it's the steep learning curve of the first ever primordial show in Germany. Um, and the moral of the story is always bring the right plugs. I'm Alan Averill, and this is Agitator's Anonymous Episode 2. You can find me at primordial under slash nemthianga on Instagram if you want to follow me. And my Patreon is patreon.com slash Alan Averill, two capital A's. Till the next time, keep the faith. 